good to be together tonight. Appreciate this time we've been able to spend in worship. As always, I hope today's been an encouraging day for you. We're about to launch into another week, and a lot of things are going to be going on. I know that many of us are going to be very busy doing a lot of different things throughout the week. I hope that today has been a day of encouragement. I hope that today has been a day of enrichment as we enter into the presence of God and, and we worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I think God in His wisdom set up the church in the way that it is to meet together on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, to not forsake the assembly. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, for the very reason of being encouraged and uplifted. I know that I've been encouraged today. I'm looking forward to a study in Mark chapter 7 as we wrap up Mark chapter 7 tonight. So if you want to turn there with me, appreciate Ronnie reading through those few verses, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. One thing that's really important to daily life is knowing how to ask the right questions. Asking questions about what's expected of us, what we're supposed to do, what a person means can be so important to us and so helpful to us on a daily basis. I'm reminded of a story about Isidore Isaac Rabbi. Have you ever heard that name before? He was a Nobel Prize award winning scientist. One of his friends asked him one time, why did you decide to become a scientist? He said it went all the way back to his childhood. Every single afternoon after school, he'd be talking with his mother in the car. And his mother would never ask him about what he learned in school. She didn't really care about what he learned in school. She would always ask him the question, did you ask a good question today? A little bit later in his life, he said asking good questions is the reason that he became a scientist. Asking good questions is what got him to where he was. Knowing the right questions to ask when we approach different things in life is so very significant and so very important. That's especially true whenever we open up the pages of God's Word. That's especially true whenever we study Scripture. Whenever we open up God's Word, there are certain questions that need to be asked, two of which we're going to look at tonight from Mark chapter 7. The first question that we're going to ask, what does this text teach us about Jesus? The second question that we're going to ask, what does this text teach us about ourselves? If you're just studying Scripture at home, if you're reading through a Bible, maybe on a daily Bible reading plan, these are two questions that are so important to think about. Two questions that are so important to ask. They help us to draw a lot out of the text, to draw out of the text what God wants us to understand from the text. What does this text teach me about God? What does this text teach me about Jesus or the Holy Spirit? And then what does this text teach me about myself? How I should respond to Him. How I should choose to live my life on a daily basis. So as we study from Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37, and we see Jesus confronted with a man who was not only deaf, but also mute, Let's ask these two questions. Let's seek application in our lives and see what we can gain from this last section in Mark, the seventh chapter. Question number one, everything starts with Jesus, doesn't it? What does this text teach us about Jesus? This is where we're going to spend 
the majority of our time. Number one, this text teaches us in Mark chapter 7 and verse 31 that Jesus does not show partiality. If you go back to what we talked about last week, Mark chapter 7 and verse 24, the Bible says that from there Jesus arose, talking about in Galilee, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Throughout the majority of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been in the region of Galilee associating with mostly Jews. Well, that's not the case when you come to verse 24. Jesus travels north into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus travels into Gentile country. He goes from a place where the majority of people around Him are Jews to a place where the majority of people around Him are Gentiles. Of course, as we talked about last week, Jesus interacts with the Syrophoenician woman. Last week, we talked about what we can learn from her faith. But then you come to verse number 31. The Bible says that he returned from the region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis was ten cities that were united, allied with one another. Two of them were set along the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Even though Jesus has changed locations, He's still surrounded by the same group of people. This region on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the Decapolis, was not dominated by Jews. It was dominated by Gentiles. Now, we know that Jesus was a Jewish male. He was born into this world as a Jewish male. But He didn't come into this world to just associate with Jews. He came into this world to also associate with Gentiles. Jesus didn't come into the world to only interact with people who are like Him ethnically. He came into the world to interact with all people. And as He interacts with and ministers to all people, He's going to interact with and minister to people who are different than Him ethnically. We said last week that the Jews, the majority of them, viewed the Gentiles as unclean, dogs, dirty, Filthy, I don't want to spend time with you. I'm not going to go inside, to your, inside your house. That's not what we see with Jesus. Jesus doesn't show partiality. Jesus doesn't show favoritism or discrimination based on external attributes. Based on things that cannot be controlled. Number one, we learn from Jesus' travels that Jesus does not show partiality. Jesus doesn't show favoritism. Do you know what that means today? That means it doesn't matter what color your skin is. Jesus is interested in you. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. Jesus is interested in you. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. Jesus is interested in you because He doesn't show partiality. He doesn't show favoritism based on external attributes that cannot be controlled when you look at James chapter 2 and verse number 1 we find a command for ourselves he says my brothers show no partiality or favoritism as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory James says there's only one thing you can hold on to and you got two options you can hold on to your faith in Jesus or you can choose to hold on to partiality discrimination favoritism whatever word you want to use there James tells us the choice we should make you can't hold on to partiality in your faith in Jesus at the same time because Jesus doesn't show partiality. 
We can't hold on to our faith in Jesus and hold on to the different prejudices that we have and the discriminations that we lean towards and hold on to Jesus at the same time because Jesus does not do that kind of thing. If it doesn't matter to Jesus what color your skin is or where you're from or how much money you have, your age, gender, whatever it is, then that should not matter to us. We learn about Jesus from this text that He doesn't show partiality. He's willing to associate with. He's willing to minister to. He's willing to interact with people who are a lot different than Him. Number two, Jesus gives second chances. Aren't you thankful for that? Here we find Jesus on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. We've seen Him there before in the Gospel of Mark. Do you remember where that is? If you go back to Mark chapter 5, verses 1-20, through 20, which we studied a few moons ago from this point, when we studied in Mark 5, verses 1-20, through 20, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee from the western side to the eastern side. Mark chapter 5 says He entered into the region of the Gerasenes. That's where He is here in Mark chapter 7. Jesus got off the boat. He came in contact with a man who was demon-possessed. The demon said that his name was Legion. Jesus casted out the demons from that individual. The demons went into the swine. The swine ran down the hill and drowned in the lake. Remember that story? Whenever the people came to see what happened, how did they respond to Jesus? How did they respond to Jesus casting out demons from a man who was a very well-known demoniac? Wow. This is amazing. We've never seen anything like this. This is the man that we tried to chain up, but because of the demons, he was so strong, he would break the chains. This is the man who lived among the graves and was unclean. This is the man who terrorized every single person that walked through this spot to the point that no one would come through here anymore because of this one demon-possessed individual. But now look at him, he's sitting in his right mind. Is that how they responded? We look at Mark chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says that when they saw what Jesus did, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They got down on their hands and knees and said, Jesus, we want you to leave. We want you out of here. We want you to leave our region and to never come back. Yet when we come to Mark chapter 7, what does Jesus do? He comes back. They told Him to depart. They begged Him to depart. They didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, yet Jesus is going to give them a second chance. In the text that we see in front of us tonight, the end of Mark chapter 7, or going into the first ten verses of Mark chapter 8, Jesus is a Lord of second chances. He's going to interact with them. He's going to minister to them. And He's going to experience not only great success, but also a great following. What do we learn about Jesus from this text? We learn that Jesus gives second chances. Sometimes we don't realize that though in our hearts and our minds, do we? Sometimes we're tempted to think that Jesus doesn't have another chance for me. I've blown it. I turned Jesus away. I told Jesus to leave. I didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus in that moment. And now I bet He wants nothing to do with me. There's no way Jesus is ever going to reconcile with me. Well, look at this group here in Mark chapter 7. Did they turn Jesus away? Did they tell Him to turn around, get in the boat, and never come back? Did they tell Him to depart? Of course they did. But Jesus gave them a second chance. If Jesus gave them a second chance, 
Do you think that he'd be willing to give you a second chance? Do you think that he'd be willing to give me a second chance? I think the reality is that he would. Jesus is a Lord of second chances and how thankful we are for that. Number three, Jesus doesn't always work how we expect him to work. As Jesus is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, the ten cities, the Bible says in verse number 32 that apparently this man's friends brought a man who was deaf. And depending on your translation, some translations are going to say he was mute and that he wasn't able to speak. And some translations are going to say that he had a speech, pediment, a speech impediment. The Greek word could refer to either one. Regardless, he wasn't able to speak. Maybe he was mute and wasn't able to speak at all. Maybe he had a speech impediment because he was deaf. Regardless, he was not able to communicate. And the friends started to beg Jesus as they approached him. They begged him to do what? To lay his hand on him. Jesus, this is how we expect you to work. This is how we expect you to heal our friend here. We've heard about what you're capable of. We've heard that if you put your hands on people, then you can heal them. That's what we're asking. That's what we're expecting you to do. But is that exactly what Jesus did? When you keep reading, Jesus, in verse number 33, took the man aside into a more private setting, which goes well with what we see a little bit later in the chapter in verse 36, where we see the messianic secret reintroduced in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus charged them to tell no one what happened. He's doing this in private. He's doing this in a more secretive setting. The Bible says that Jesus put his fingers into the ears of the man, and then he put his finger on the man's tongue. Why did Jesus do that? Well, he's touching the impacted areas. He's touching the ailments. He's touching the affected areas to symbolically communicate to this man, I'm about to heal you. This is not going to be your problem anymore. Because he was deaf, Jesus couldn't tell him, hey, I'm about to do this for you. I'm about to heal your deafness and I'm about to heal you from being mute. Because he was deaf, he couldn't communicate that. Sign language didn't exist. And so Jesus puts his finger in the man's ears, puts his finger on the man's tongue, telling him what he's about to do. The Bible says in that process, Jesus spit. Back in this time, uh, it was believed in pagan practices that spit carried healing capabilities. Of course, Jesus is not participating in a pagan belief here or some kind of magic art that spit has a special healing capability. But Jesus does that to demonstrate to a pagan audience, I'm about to heal you. This is what I'm about to do for you. And so Jesus, he, he puts his finger in the man's ears, he spits, he touches the man's tongue, he looks up to heaven, he sighs deeply, we'll talk more about that in just a second, and he said to him, be opened. With great authority, Jesus issues the command, be opened. What do we learn from that? We learn that Jesus doesn't always work how we expect him to work. They come to Jesus saying, lay your hands on him. That's all you need to do to heal him. And Jesus takes him aside and goes through a process in healing this individual. Sometimes we come to Jesus with everything planned out, don't we? We've thought about it. We've worked through it in our hearts and minds. Jesus, this is, this is the best option. I've thought it over a hundred times. This is what you need to do. This is how this needs to work out. This is how you need to act in this specific situation. Don't be surprised when Jesus doesn't always work how you expect Him to. We know the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God Himself says that my thoughts aren't your thoughts, 
Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Jesus is not always going to work how we expect Him to work. Jesus is not always going to do what we expect Him to do. His ways and His thoughts aren't our ways and our thoughts all the time. But do you know what we can be confident in? Do you know what we can trust? We can be confident in the fact, we can trust that His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. He's an amazing Savior that we serve, that even though He doesn't work how we expect Him to work all the time, we know that He's always doing what's best. We can trust that He's always doing what's in step with the will of an all-knowing God. Number four, what do we learn about Jesus? We learn that Jesus cares about people's hurt. Right after Jesus looks up to heaven, and right before He issues the command with great authority, be opened, what did He do? The Bible says that He sighed. That word for sighs used throughout the New Testament to describe a sigh that comes from being burdened. A sigh that comes from experiencing great difficulty and pain in life. That I'm going through something hard. It's weighing on my shoulders and it causes me to sigh. That's what Jesus is doing here. I believe the reason that Jesus sighs is because He is emotionally invested in this individual. Jesus cares about this man's pain. He cares about this man's hurt. He cares about what this man is going through in life. And it causes Him to sigh. In that moment, Jesus is confronted with the brokenness of the world. You know, that's why ailments exist. That's why sicknesses and diseases exist. Because we live in a world that's been broken by sin. We talked about that a little bit this morning, as the brokenness of the world stands in front of Jesus, a man who can't hear, a man who can't speak, it breaks his heart. As this man hurts, Jesus hurts along with him. As this man is burdened, Jesus is burdened along with him, and it causes him to sigh deeply as he looks up to heaven and utters the words, be opened. Jesus cares about people's hurt. On Thursday, I spent the day in this building. If you know what this building is, then I'm sorry. If you've been in this building, it's not a good place to be. It's the cancer center at Vanderbilt Hospital. Spent the day Thursday with my mom in the large infusion center that they have as she was getting her chemotherapy treatment. As I was sitting in that infusion center, I was working on this lesson. I was working on this PowerPoint, and it struck me looking around at the brokenness that existed in that building, the brokenness that exists in our world, so many people who are hurting and struggling, so many people who are going through difficulty in life, isn't it amazing to know that Jesus cares? Just like Jesus cares about this individual standing in front of Him who can't speak, who can't hear, Jesus cared about every individual in that building who was struggling from a very dreaded disease. Just like Jesus cares about every person who's in that building, He cares about every person who's in this building. Jesus cares about your hurt. Jesus cares about the burdens and the pain in your life. But sometimes we wonder, don't we? It's like the song, Does Jesus Care? I promise I'm not going to quote a hymn in every single sermon that I preach, but this one just so happened to fit. It's like the song, Does Jesus Care? Does Jesus care? 
When my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song, as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does He care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there's no relief, though my tears flow all the night long, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it ought to Him? Does He see? When you read a passage like this one, what's the answer to those questions? Does Jesus care when we go through difficulties in life? Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. My heart, his heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares. What do we learn about Jesus in this text? We, we learn that Jesus cares about people's hurt. What hurts you hurts Jesus. Jesus as your mediator and sympathizing high priest feels alongside of you. When you're burdened, He's burdened. Isn't that great to know, especially as we look at this fifth and final point that we learn about Jesus, that Jesus' power should not be limited in verse number 35. When you look there in that verse, Jesus has issued the command, hasn't He? Be opened. And what happened in verse 35? Here's a man who's deaf, but by Jesus' power, his ears are opened. Here's a man who's mute and he can't speak. By Jesus' power, the Bible says his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Jesus' power was greater than that man's ailments. Jesus' power was greater than that man's deafness. Jesus' power was greater and more powerful than that man's inability to speak. All it took was a few words from Jesus. For his ears to open and his tongue to be loose. Jesus' power shouldn't be limited. Do you think that we're ever guilty sometimes of putting Jesus inside of a box? That Jesus can only do what's inside of this box. But anything outside of that, it's just beyond his capability. He just can't do it. Are we ever guilty of maybe going through difficult situations in life and we start to think that Jesus can't do anything about this? Jesus can't help me in this situation. If Jesus could help this man, do you think He could help you? If Jesus' power can cause deaf ears to hear, do you think that He's powerful enough to take care of what's going on in your life? What's going on in mine? If Jesus' power is so great that just by speaking words, a mute tongue becomes loosed? Do you think that Jesus has the power to help us with our struggles on a daily basis? I believe that He does. Jesus' power should not be limited. I don't know about you, but I serve a Savior in Matthew 28 and verse 18 who said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're not just talking about some authority. We're not just talking about a majority of it. All authority has been given to Jesus. And if that's the case, we should never put Him in a box. If that's the case, the thought should never cross our mind. I don't think Jesus can do this. If that's the case, if that's true, in Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus' power should never be limited in our hearts and never be limited in our minds. What does this text teach us about Jesus? 
helps us come to know him better, doesn't it? It teaches us that he doesn't show partiality. He gives second chances. He doesn't always work how we expect him to. He cares about our hurt and his power shouldn't be limited in our lives. But then as we close, let's transition for just a couple of minutes to talk about ourselves. What does this text teach us about us? What does this text teach us about the lives that we live on a daily basis? Let me share two ideas with you, then the lesson's going to be yours. Number one, we learn from this text that we should be zealously proclaiming Jesus. When you look at verse number 36 of Mark chapter 7, again, we see the messianic secret. Jesus is telling them, charging them not to tell anyone what He's done, but what happened. The more He told them to stop, Kind of like dealing with a kid, isn't it? The more that He told them to stop, the more that they did it. The more that He told them not to proclaim, the more zealous, the more passionate, the more excited they got about what Jesus had done in their lives, in the life of their friend. And they couldn't help themselves but to share the message. As this man receives healing, he doesn't just receive healing and walk away. But can you picture him going to other people who would have struggled with different ailments? Maybe people who he would have known. People who would have been in his disabled community going to them and saying, let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you about what He's done in my life. Let me tell you about what He has done for me. And guess what? I know that He can do it for you too. They were zealously proclaiming Jesus. They were excited about what Jesus had done. And as a result, they couldn't help themselves but to share the message. What about us? What do, does this text teach us about ourselves? It teaches us that we should be individuals who are zealously, excitedly, passionately proclaiming Jesus and what He has done in our lives. It's a message worth sharing, isn't it? It reminds me of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah the 20th chapter in verse number 9 when he was tempted to quit. He was discouraged in his ministry and he thought to himself, he threw around the possibility, maybe I'm just not going to preach anymore. Nobody's listening to me and it's not just that they're ignoring me, they're persecuting me, and I'm just not going to say anything anymore. But then you see Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jesus certainly gave an amazing gift to this individual in Mark the seventh chapter, but hasn't he given us a greater gift? Jesus hasn't just healed our ears and our mouths, he has healed our souls. Jesus has healed us from our sins. How should we respond to that? It's like a fire in my bones. It's like a fire in my heart. I could try to put a lid on it. I could try to contain it, but I just can't. I can't keep it in. I'm weary of holding it in, Jeremiah says, and I'm not going to. Is that what we say? Is that how we respond to what Jesus has done in our lives? Are we, number one, excited about what Jesus has done in our lives? Are we passionate about it? And then number two, are we passionate about it enough to share it with other people? To the people that we interact with on a daily basis, I just want to share with you what Jesus has done in me and what I know He can do in you as well. We learn about ourselves that as followers of Jesus, we should be those who are zealously proclaiming Jesus. And then number two, we should be 
astonished beyond measure by Jesus. I love how it says that in verse 37, that these individuals who witnessed this miracle were astonished beyond measure. They were so amazed, so astonished at Jesus and what Jesus was capable of. You couldn't measure it. You get as many tape measures as you want to. Tape them together. Get all the tape measures in the world. And it would not measure how amazed and astonished they were as they stood in the presence of Jesus and experienced His healing power. Astonished beyond measure. Who's Jesus? Verse 37, He's the one who has done all things well. He has even caused the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. We hear about Jesus a lot. We hear about what Jesus is capable of doing almost every week whenever we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Does it ever just become habitual? Does it ever become normal? Because we hear it over and over again. And as we live our lives throughout the week, we're not really thinking about Jesus and and what Jesus has done. Well, Well, that's just normal. That's just expected. What Jesus does and who Jesus is is not normal. As we live our lives on a daily basis, we should stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. We should be astonished beyond measure as we think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in our lives. May the identity and the actions of Jesus never become cold to us. May it never become habitual to us, but as we live our lives on a daily basis, may we always stand in awe of Him, who He is, and what He's capable of. These are two questions you can ask when you approach any section of Scripture. What does this text teach me about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit? What does this text teach me about divinity? And what does this text teach me about me? I want to know more about Jesus And I want to know more about how I should respond to Him. Well, when we ask those two questions in this section of Scripture, we walk away with some pretty amazing answers. We learn about Jesus, that He doesn't show partiality. He gives second chances. He doesn't always work how we expect. He cares about us whenever we hurt, and His power shouldn't be limited in our hearts and our lives. We also learn that we should respond to that by zealously, passionately proclaiming Him what He has done in our lives and standing amazed in His presence every single day. Jesus is the one who has done all things well. The one who even causes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Tonight, you have an opportunity to respond to the Savior that we've talked about tonight, either by becoming a Christian or coming back to Him as a Christian, we'd love to help you with that if we can, as together we stand and sing.